Welcome, everybody, doing business with a servant's heart. And I'm super pumped. Met this gentleman a few weeks ago, probably a few months ago. Jim Shulman, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. And Steve, thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. You do some great things, and I know you serve people. But let's start with somewhat the, the beginning. What got you started? What are you doing now? Oh, boy. How many hours do we have? <laughs> 20, 25 uh, minutes, but let's... Well, well the condensed that. version of this, Steve, is that I've been in sales and marketing for over 40 years now, and I've sold everything from auto restoration equipment and toilet cleaning chemicals to knockoffs of Franklin Mint models. Um, what got me to what I'm doing right now is I had started a marketing business in 1996, helping companies with things such as first generation websites or print materials or long form video. And what I found was that they were buying my services and the checks cleared and they said they liked it, but they were addressing things that were not the underlying problem, such as a company's market decamped for another country. Basically, it had been in the U.S. and it left. And no matter how much they spent on marketing, it was never going to bring it back. Or typically, if there's a bad salesperson, the first thing that person does is says the marketing is terrible. So I created incredibly good marketing so they could sell poorly, but with incredibly good marketing. <laughs> and what changed it for me is I was standing in the hallway of a major insurance company Christmas week of 1999, and an admin was pushing a dumpster down the hallway yelling, bring out your marketing materials because compliance changed nine semicolons so they could keep a job. And people were leaving their offices flinging these unopened packages of materials into this dumpster. Now, I took a look and I said, I am never going to make dumpster food again. I shut that business down at that moment. And I started a new business, which is just a consultancy for people who have to earn a living by selling things. And I began by helping financial advisors when most of the world thought it was the shiny brochure with the iStock pictures. And you and I know it's the well, least of it is that. Began helping specialty attorneys, uh, CPA firms, and it grew from that point. This is year 23 for me, and I'll keep doing this till my epiglottis stops bouncing. <laughs> well, that's an incredible story, which I didn't know. And man, I'm just picturing as you're talking to people throwing all that's money right in the garbage, money, money, money on top of jobs and all that. That that's well, that'll get you to do what you want to do. Well, the uh, the sad thing too, Steve, is that when you think about how companies are dysfunctional. Somebody at a headquarters was told, you have to create materials for the sales force. So somebody who has never sold anything and probably couldn't sell water ice in July is tasked with coming up with materials for somebody to sell from. So, And then you wonder why it's dysfunctional. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, let's, let's go this way. Let's, let's walk through a five-minute journey what you actually do when you meet somebody so the audience can see the power of these 23 years and, and and congratulations audience that's a long time i just read something this morning if you go eight years in your business you're top notch you've almost tripled that and that's kudos to you he must be doing something right so let's pretend i'm a divorce you said uh uh, uh 
specific lawyer? What, what words did you use? Um, you work with a certain lawyer. I work with specialty Sp attorneys. Like a so divorce? For, okay, so it might be not just a lawyer, but it might be a divorce lawyer who works in certain types of cases. Or I've worked mm -hmm. with an attorney whose specialty is a certain class of lawsuits uh, or based upon a certain industry, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I'm a, let's say I'm a divorce lawyer. My niche or specialty would be senior citizens. Is that Would that fit the category of what you're talking about? Yeah, in other words, somebody who has a specialty and they focus. Usually when you have a specialty, it's easier to uh, relate to the audience your marketing costs are lower, your ability to be known becomes better. And the real question is, is the market worth uh, wealthy enough? Are the ethics of being in that market correct? And frankly, do you like helping people there? Great. So that's, that's a great tip, by the way, what you just said. Audience, remember that. Come back and watch this or hear this again. So okay, I'm a divorce lawyer with senior, you know, seniors over 60. I'm coming to you. You're, you're going to start work. What do you start with with me as that divorce lawyer with that niche? What what do you do? Let's kind of get an idea what your your whole marketing is about. Uh, we have a talk. And when we have a talk, I want to know what got them to where they are today, where it was their life, what was important to them. How did they do this? Where did we go beyond whatever is put in LinkedIn or Facebook or their Insta? And in the course of that conversation, the issues start to come out usually. In other words, this is something I'm trying to do, or I had tried doing something similar to this. Uh, I'll ask more questions. I may have examples that I could share from people who have been in similar situations. But it's that first talk is just discovery. And the real question is, I could help someone if they have an issue, a problem, you, it's a problem, that they really want to fix. Because if they don't want to fix it, or they say, you know, uh, it would be nice if I could fix it, oh. it's probably not going to go anywhere. Um, I look at it, Steve, there are three categories, must do, want to do, nice to do. The only things that happen are must do. Want to do's only happen if they become musts. And nice to do's only happen if you assign it to somebody else or you buy some service to take care of nice. Push it away. Yeah. So it's desire. It, it, you're looking for that high desire of solving that, which is great. Desire is so important in business. I love that. Um, so you find that problem, I must fix it. What's the next step after that? The next step is a second conversation if the person so desires. And the reason is, uh, even if somebody says to me after the first conversation, Jim, you're fantastic. Let's go. I want to hire you. I will not proceed at that point. I want to have at least a second conversation mm -hmm with a week or two between them. And the reason for that is it gives somebody some time to have the topic settle a little in their head. And also, you know, Steve, working with somebody is a relationship. And we have to be really comfortable with one another because very often uh, clients will share things with me that they have never shared with anybody else. 
As you know, running your own business, your personal and your business life are one continuum. The question is, where do you put more emphasis at a certain point? More on my personal, more on the business. And because of that, I want to make sure that we're really in sync together for working together. That's true serving, which is why I'm so excited. I love having you on this show because you want to make sure it's a fit for you. You'll say no if it's not a fit, correct? Not only will I say no if it's not a fit, but if somebody insists that they want to start working together with me after only one meeting, in 23 years of doing this, there was never a second meeting. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and that's... uh. I love that because a lot of people, especially in marketing, it's cutthroat. You know, you've been in 23 years. People are out there all promising, promising. I love that you do that. And audience, that's a tip you can learn. Make sure it fits you. That's a great tip that you just put out by what you do. One thing I learned over the years, Steve, and again, I have made tons of mistakes. And when I work with somebody, I try to help them avoid them if at all possible. The wrong client is always too expensive. Yeah, good point. So what industries, I know you mentioned lawyers, financial advisors, Is there those are certain industries you work with? Because I want the audience to know if they're hearing this, they're going, God, he needs to talk to my financial advisor. She's great, but she doesn't know how to grow her, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what I have done, Steve, is my market are entrepreneurs. Yeah. Okay. People who are established a business, they're already successful. They have employees, a minimum of one full-time employee, typically on the high end, 11 to 12. We're talking about smaller enterprises, usually maybe two and a half million at the top end. Um, They have invested in themselves before, meaning they're the ones who went to Dale Carnegie, Goldman Sachs, 10,000 small businesses. They went to Sandler Sales Training, Strategic Coach, which is a phenomenal program. And they want more. They want individual attention. And they're always the folks who are searching out the next thing. They're never wow. satisfied. So they're willing um, to grow. And, it's, and it's across all industries, yeah. frankly. Uh, but what I found is that I seem to have clusters in those two areas. And... When I've spoken to clients over the years, I said, if you develop a cluster of clients within a certain area, maybe that's telling you to spend more time doing it. I love it. that, And that's, you're right, because it seems to fit. But for example, I have a client that's a virtual clown. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got two admins that work for her, for example. That would be somebody that you, you could definitely work with. Again, doing the discovery like you did, right? That's the sort of person I would want to find out more about how they got to where they were. I, every conversation I have is productive. It's either I'm meeting somebody who could become a client or frankly, I'm meeting somebody who's doing something amazing that if I can't help them now, maybe I could in the future, maybe they could offer something to me. Productive is a great word. I love that, that word because it's positive. We all want to produce as business owners, entrepreneurs, because we're going to make money. I mean, that's nothing said we can't make money, but how you make it and have value like you're doing with it. So, Well, many years ago, Steve, a dear friend of mine who was a, uh, was a business professor at Villanova University used to say, if we do all our jobs properly, the profits will follow. 
And he got a lot of flack for that, for people saying, wait a minute, the focus of the business is profits. And he said, no, you don't understand. If you do everything properly, which includes paying attention to a P&L, then the profits will follow. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I think the sales mindset and owning a business kind of envelope each other or overlap. And it's like, it's how you do it. Like you're doing it. You say no, and you probably give them another resource, right? Hey, if I can't fit, you know, Jim Shulman can't work for you. Here, why don't you try XYZ? They might be a good resource. Is that something you do as well? All the time. For instance, I, I very often will have newbies who will come to me. I found with my personality that I can give advice to a newbie, but I work best with somebody who has experience. And I have colleagues who love working with people who are just beginning. Uh, somebody who does not have employees, for instance, is in a different, I'm going to say, level of experience than somebody who does. Or as a client of mine once said, it was like before I became a parent and after I became a parent. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. Um, sometimes I'll work with somebody or look at, uh, to work with somebody and they want me to coach the entire management team individually. It's not an area where I go for a variety of reasons. I have colleagues who I'm happy to introduce them to. I love that because you know your niche and you said that earlier, you know, you kind of went to financial advisors and lawyers because that kind of seems where the cluster went. But mm -hmm. I, again, that's what serving is about and, and serving by referring somebody that can bring them value that you know personally you're not just going on the yellow pages oh, that's an old i sound old when i say yellow pages but go to google and just search marketers and say hey go to this guy you give them value by somebody you know right whenever we make a referral our name is engraved on that referral good or bad so yeah. if it blows up our name is on it if it's a success our name is on it yeah and that's a good tip for you and the audience about referrals Referral partners, network. We say network's your net worth. You don't need to be with everybody, but you should have a network. I always mm -hmm. say if you have one person in your network, or in your case, you probably have hundreds, Jim Shulman's probably doing better than the person with one network, one person in their network, mm -hmm. right? Right. And I'll add another important point about referrals. Never feel forced to give one. If you don't have a good referral in a situation, just admit, I don't have a good referral for you at this point. I know there are networking groups that find people if they don't give a referral. And frankly, that's not where I want to be. And the people I associate with are looking for quality. Disingenuous is what I say. We won't say names. It was, mm -hmm. We don't do that on this show, but you're right. It should be natural. And just being honesty is the best policy. Jim, I don't have anything for you right now, mm -hmm. but I'll keep you in mind in the future. And I've had people give me referrals I just got one two weeks ago. Somebody I met six months ago that she happened to run into somebody and she gave me a referral and vice versa. I, I love that because that's serving again. It's doing business referrals with a servant's heart, not just, Hey, I want to look good here. Here's this guy. All right. Good luck to you type of mentality when you do a referral. And that's very important. I, I know you're a reader because I've, we've been in networking groups and I've heard you talk. You have any special, you know, books you like that you want to share with the audience has really helped you. Well, in general, I don't read very many business books. I tend to go for biographies and histories because right. almost everything that I've needed in business, I have seen reflected through someone else's life and their life experiences. Frankly, the best business book I can recommend 
watch all seven uh, seasons of the series Mad Men. Not necessarily the soap opera parts, but everything that happens within the ad agency and its uh, splits, its mergers. Uh, I have yet to find a B-School example that has not occurred somewhere in those seven seasons. That my wife just mentioned that a month ago that I've never watched it. And she, now you've got me excited. I'm going to have to watch that show and think about you <laughs> and learn because I, I agree. I, and that's interesting. You said that you don't read personal development, but you read stories. How did um, Henry T. Ford do the car? I mean, that's a great story you can learn about business. Tesla, mm -hmm. you know, all these different people in history, you know, the Wright brothers. There's something you can glean from those, right? There is, and I have one book to recommend. The only downside is it's out of print, but if you go to the website abebooks.com, Abe like Abe Lincoln, that's where the used books wind up, and you can find a copy there for a couple of bucks. And it's called Rickenbacker, R-I-C-K-E-N-B-A-C-K-E-R. -E -E Somebody almost nobody has heard of today, but the man was beyond amazing, born in abject poverty in the 19th century, uh, figured out how to scrape together a living, got involved in this new technology called automobiles, began selling them, became one of the most famous race drivers before World War I, then got involved in airplanes and became a highly decorated uh, ace fighter pilot during World War I started a car company after World War I that went bankrupt for a variety of reasons, paid back the investors, then saved the Indy 500, which was about to be broken up, and he decided that the airline business would be a good idea. So he started this little airline called Eastern Airlines. Wow. Uh, but that didn't stop him for, from surviving another plane crash and a disastrous crash during World War II, where he saved several people's lives from that flight who were stuck with him on an island. What an incredible man. Holy mackerel. The lessons about perseverance, looking mm -hmm. for opportunities, and being able to adjust to rapidly changing times. Uh, I've yet to find a better book. And again, it was by his examples. And Rickenbacker was his last name, because I recognize yes, him. Yeah. Eddie Rickenbacker. Eddie Rickenbacker. It's one oh, of wow. those things that people years ago, everybody knew, and today nobody does, but it's worth hunting down that book. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put the Abe's book, and I'll get that information. I'll put that. I have a book directory. I'm going to put that in my book directory that I share with the world. And I'll put that in the show notes, too, so people can reach out and, and see the different books. What's mm -hmm. one... Um, one flaw that businesses do in marketing that you see that's pretty consistent, you know, I don't want you to share everything that you do, but I'd like to, is there one thing that really stands out to you? Yes. Very simple, easily remedied. Nobody does it. Two words, follow up. <laughs> that's it. Just follow up. Interesting. And so you find a number of businesses you work with, their follow-up's not very good or non-existent. For instance, you probably, when you opened your email this morning, got two zillion solicitations from various companies or services, but you very rarely got a follow-up from a company where you bought their product or service. 
even something, if I give one piece of advice to folks, go to a dollar store and get one of the dollar store packages of blank note cards and write a thank you note. Something, it'll cost you now 63 cents in postage. You can get eight of those little note cards and envelopes for a buck. Wow. And the impression is unlike anything else. Don't worry about getting custom stationery or something elaborate. As long as it's blank and, you know, and you know, there's something like a neutral pretty picture on the front of it, everybody gets thrilled because somebody took the effort to care about them. I recently purchased a product from an online company. Product arrived. It was wonderful. I had a personal note written on a card that went in the package. And then I had a message that came to me two days later from a real person within that organization saying, did you get the product? Were you satisfied, Jim? Uh, we know that you talked to person X when you had a question or an email. Did person X help you? Wow. I've not seen that in a long time. And it was a company, frankly, where a purchase is completely discretionary. There is nothing they sold that is necessary for the continuation of life. Wow. Well, that's a great tip. And, and it's I hear it all the time. People think they follow up, but they, they're really not. And, and what's the percentage of businesses you think don't follow up that you work with or have um, talked to? Well, it depends how you define follow up. Yeah. Are you doing it sincerely? Are you showing some level of personal attention? Or is it like the car dealership that says, thank you very much for your patronage. We appreciate it. Uh, and the salesman gave me a $20 gift card to the local hoagie shop. Yeah, yeah. It's that's not the thing. same thing. And when you think about it, have you ever gotten a phone call from the dealership from a person a year and a half or two years after you bought that vehicle. Never. So is it possible you're going to replace it or get another vehicle for your family? Absolutely. But they forget about you literally as soon as the upholstery doesn't smell like fresh plastic. <laughs> That's a great phrase. So, so what you're saying is it's got to be personal and intentional. Correct. Okay. See, I'm learning from you. You're teaching me well. And I, that's why I love doing these podcasts. My guests, teach me things that I can use. And, and I love to follow up, but I like the personal and intentional. Um, in regards to working with, with businesses, um, I know you said staffing. Is there a, a, a time in business that you like to work with, like a year old, three years old, or is it just the number of employees and, and they're established? Um, established meaning at least three years yep. in business. Uh, because when I work with people, they already know how to fix their problems. They bring me in to actually help them get it fixed. So they okay. know how to fix their problem. Wait a minute. And mm -hmm. you just come in and show them what they already know. Yeah. For instance, let's wow. say you have a, let's say you have a problem and you know that you need to reorganize your business processes and you know where it's, where it's driving you crazy. In other words, if you've gotten to the point where you're established and successful and you're making payroll and so forth, you have your stuff together. But the question might be, how do I actually implement change? And what is that change gonna look like? 
is accountability part of that too? Which is accountability. Well, part of it's accountability. And another thing I have found over the years, Steve, far more often than not, the entrepreneurs I've worked with are ADD personalities. They are distracted by the slightest thing. So much of what we do is reduce the various issues to one thing at a time. The old elephant phrase, take a piece of the little ele- take a piece of the element little by little until you've solved all, all the whole situation right. or problems. I, and then love- figure out figure out first what is the path going to be? What are we attacking first or second or third rather than having it all come at once? I love again, man. I love this. You're you're so awesome, Jim. I, you really are. I, I just I get what you're doing, and I think the audience does too. Um, is there a time frame that you can succeed to help a business, or is it so random per business that you really can't? I mean, is it six months with you? They do it a year, or is it just case by case basis? It is. I have a minimum engagement of one year, and the reason is is that. Change does not happen immediately. Very often, there's a pattern which I call change on the dresser. If you clean your dresser out thoroughly, you'll probably find like 36 bucks in change. You know, I threw the quarters in the sock drawer. Some of the money wound up here. Oh, my goodness, I forgot that I had $12 left after the parking. And when you gather it all together, it becomes real money. Just organizing issues very often, or in one case with a client, we organized his desk and cleared the desk off. And the requirement was he had to be able to take a model car and drive it across his desk without hitting something. (laughs) And in doing that, found a lot of business opportunities that led to significant profits. But as you know, with change, it doesn't happen immediately. And very often in working with somebody might start getting resistance because it's different behavior. And very often around seven to 10 months into the annual engagement, I have what I refer to as my come to Moses moment, which is uh, either you're going to do what we're talking about or not. And sometimes I'll have to get in the person's face in a reasonably polite way. Uh, Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they just say, this isn't going to work beyond this point. I've had clients who have worked with me for a year. I have clients who've been with me more than a decade. I, I have, I, go ahead. Finish. And I have currently have a few clients who I worked with years ago and they came back with what I called newer, better problems. Yeah. Yep. So they, they redo the whole thing as business changes. And I like that you put a year on it, but you put a time frame. Because that gives them the game plan and expectation that's important. Mm-hmm. I love that because they're not going to, if you go six months, they're probably not going to succeed with you. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying when you say a year? In um, a sense? No, I'm looking for a commitment. That's okay. Gotcha. That's what I'm looking for. And I would rather have somebody not commit than say, I want to work with you and glean some ideas. For instance, Whenever I hear somebody say, I love doing this because I got some nuggets out of it. Well, when I think of nuggets, I think of cleaning out a cat box, frankly. Okay. (laughs) They're deposited. It's nice. Maybe you can find a use for it, but it's not focused. 
And frankly, it has nothing to do with what you would want to do for growth or change within your business. Okay, th th that's great. You know, we're running out of time here, Jim. I could talk to you all day. I've learned so much from you, and, and you got such great serving ideas, the way to help. I thank you for being on the show. His information is going to be in the show notes. Please reach out to him if you have any questions. I know he'll set you know, 15, 30 minute call or, or, or an email, send them an email, whatever that may be you want to communicate because we're struggling with COVID and Jim is the answer. I'm going to tell you right now, I'll put my, whatever I want on it is that he's going to help you with your, with your situation. With that being said, can you leave the audience with a tip that's helped you or helped other businesses that to be where they are today and to grow and to be successful? Hmm. Um, be open to new ideas. The people who are really killing it are the ones who are always looking for what the next new thing is. Not necessarily that it'll be implemented, but what's ahead? What's changed? And I could say for myself, as I get older, it's harder and harder to force myself to look at new things as opposed to the ease of falling back. And I call it the prison of experience. You can fall into a prison of experience saying, this is what I've seen, this is what how it works. And especially in the last five years, that's not true at all. And things that I thought or perceptions that I had turned out to be completely false. Uh, I would urge people who are middle-aged to spend a lot of time listening to younger people in a non-judgmental way, uh, especially if you're an employer, because how your employees think may be widely different from your experience as you came up in business.